Well, good morning, church. Um, thank you for your patience with us this morning as we figure out live stream. We have uh, differing opinions from different wives who are not here, which is great because uh, some say it's quiet, some say it's great. My phone says it's too loud. We're all in this together. We're trying to figure this out to the best that we can. So uh, please note, um, if you guys do notice anything, feel free to send me an email. We'll try to work through this together and uh, continue to pursue a glorifying the Lord in this new and exciting way for us. Well, compared to three weeks ago, we live in a different world. And when I agreed to uh, preach, I never thought that it would be like this. I didn't think it would be live streamed. And um, so bear with me if I end up looking off at the side of the camera. Um, I really wish you were here with us uh, today. And the Lord knew. And so um, the struggle that I had beginning to write this sermon was okay. The verses that we're going to look into today are so rich um, and we're only going to be able to graze the surface, unfortunately. I wish that we could dig further in, but you don't want to hear me talk for more than 45 minutes. So let's start this morning by uh, telling a little bit of a story. I love a good story because sometimes it's the best way to understand what a passage is saying. And I think that this one helps us to understand in the goals that we can see at this specific moment. And then later on, we will see the story um, with the goals that Paul has intended us for us to understand. So say you were getting ready to run a race and you don't normally run. In fact, you don't run at all. Now I know there's plenty of people that who are tuning in right now who are very in shape and they run crazy distances in minus 30 degree weather, but you need to pretend with me for a moment that you are out of shape and that the prospect of running one kilometer is very daunting. And because of how out of shape you are, you know that after the first 50 feet, you're going to fail, that you are going to start to walk. But just as you are about to start running, as you start on the finish line, someone comes up and tells you that if you do not stop running, if you continue to run, let me make this clear, if you do not walk at all for the entire one kilometer, that you will get a $100 million reward when you cross the finish line, no matter what position you place. Will that change how you run? Of course it will. You begin to feel energy coursing through your veins. Your heart starts to race. You think of all the things that you can do with that amount of money. How you can buy a new car, because let's face it, after this, you're never going to want to run again. How you're going to pay off your home, or you're going to buy a new one, or maybe give some of, of it away and then go on a really long vacation, or buy that guitar that you've always wanted, but you can never justify spending $5,000 on you get to the starting line anticipating what's at the finish line already. You have your eyes fixed on the prize. The gun goes off and you start to run. Being tired is the last thing that is on your mind. And although about a quarter of the way through, you begin to start to feel like leg cramps and cramps in your side, you begin to feel the burn. It is so easily pushed aside because you cannot get to the finish line fast enough because you know the reward. You know what you're running for. You know that at the finish line, the burn will stop because the reward far outweighs any pain that you have in this specific moment. Do you have that picture in your mind right now? And if you're anything like me, you can kind of feel that little bit of adrenaline in you right now and kind of a weird little, maybe I do feel a little bit of a cramp. Um, 
Last time I preached, I asked, uh, I asked a simple question in hopes that it would begin stirring your minds towards what we were going to talk about. And I want to do the same thing this morning. So the question I have today is, how serious are you about your relationship with Christ? Is it non-existent simply because you don't believe in him? Or is it non-existent because you don't have the time? Does it appear strong only during times of trouble or does it appear strong during times of ease? Or are you finding great satisfaction in Jesus Christ? What burn or cramp might you be feeling at this moment that is threatening to take your eyes off the finish line? Now, I'll I'll be honest with you. Often I make excuses not to spend time with the Lord. And the biggest one that I always think of is that my bed is far too comfortable in the morning. And often I turn to Christ during times of trouble, very frustrated with what he might be doing. And other times I turn to him completely dependent upon his mercy. I try in my own strength during times of ease to worship him for giving me a reprieve from a busy life. Yet I'm not so certain that I can say that I am finding my ultimate satisfaction in Christ at all times. Nor can I say that I'm pursuing Christ with every ounce of my being at every moment. But I want to. Now comparing our relationship with Christ to running a race to receive A big prize is not my idea. Paul paints this picture for us in Philippians. And so if you're not already there, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading at verse 12. And the same thing that John said last week, it is so hard for us not to have you here in this building. I look at five people here this morning helping us as we continue to serve. But there's empty chairs. They're not even set up. And, and that's hard. But we know that the, the word of God is living and active as it says itself. And so you need to have it on your lap right now. It needs to be open because God's word is of far more value than anything that I have to say. So take this time right now. Go grab a copy of God's word. If you don't have a hard copy, open a new webpage for this morning, esv.org, and use the resources that you have at your fingertips But if you're tuning in with us this morning, you don't normally attend our church and you do not have a copy of God's word at your house, we want to make that happen. So send us a direct message on Facebook. Send us and go to our website and find email. Send myself an email, send Pastor John an email, and we will ensure that a copy of God's word gets into your hand because it is that important. Now this morning we are reading from uh, Philippians 3, 12 to 16, and we should be on 3, 1 through 11. However, with scheduling conflicts, with COVID just running rampant through our society, uh, this was my week to preach. Next week got a little too close to Easter, preparing that for worship. And so John uh, had suggested taking it out of order wasn't a bad thing. It's just different. So bear with us this morning as we continue through the book of Philippians. It's going to be a little backwards, um, but we still are going to get so much truth from these pages. And it's so needed for the time that we find ourselves in today. So look at, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Not that I am already, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true 
to what we have attained. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are full of grace and you are full of mercy. And there's so much within your word. There's so much truth within these few verses right now. And Lord, you know how much I was struggling over what I was writing and how things weren't going the way they were supposed to. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you would use your servant to preach the word. And Lord, if, if what is not supposed to be said on these pages, um, please, Lord, keep, it, keep me from speaking it. God, would you be glorified this morning? Would you change lives? Would you be exalted? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from the surface, the amount of times that this passage is quoted in Christianity, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, I had to ask myself a lot of questions. Things like, what is pressing on? Um, What does it mean to make it my own? Am I mature or am I not mature? Is God trying to reveal to me some wrong thought patterns I might have? What have I attained that I need to hold true to? What does holding true actually mean? And it all leads to the question that we have above, how serious are you about your relationship with Christ? How serious am I about my relationship with Christ? Am I pressing on? And so our first point this morning is the reason. Now, we need to get to this point with a little bit more context. So we're going to jump back to verse 8, and we're going to read all the way until the first half of verse 13. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now what is Paul talking about when he says obtain this or am already perfect or perfected? Well, it's directly referring back to 8 through 11, more specifically talking about the resurrection from the dead. Um, But we see in 8 through 11, knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, attaining the resurrection from the dead, which is the day when our sanctification becomes complete. And we spend eternity with Christ, and we can finally say that we have made it our own. Now, when Paul says, not that I have obtained this or I'm already perfect, it's because he's still here on this earth and he is by no means completely rid of sin. He talks about this struggle against sin in his own life clearly in Romans chapter 7 when he says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It's this internal battle. He knows that he is not already perfect, that he has not obtained this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about a thorn in his flesh That's purpose was to help him keep his eyes fixed on God. Paul knows that perfection is not going to come on earth. He knows that although the promise of the resurrection is coming and that perfection is coming, that he shouldn't be so arrogant to think that it will happen here on this earth, which is why he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So where do we fall in this? Are we perfect? Have we obtained complete sanctification? No, we haven't. We are in the same place as Paul in our standing before the Lord. Yet our motivation is the same as what Paul says following, that we are pressing on to make it our own 
because Christ Jesus has made us his own. When Paul says uh, press on, he is using strong language. All throughout our passage this morning is he using strong language. And it applies to an aggressive and energetic action. So if you remember our story, this is the type of language that Paul is using here. Pressing on hard enough that the burn is pushed to the side, yet it's still there. You see the finish line just as a sprinter does. And you push forward as hard as you can keeping your eyes on the prize because you know what the prize is. That is cause for your motivation to put the extra effort in. What is Paul pressing on to make his own? Well, verse 12 tells us that he is pressing on because Christ has made uh, made him his own. Romans 8.29 says it very well. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God has chosen you to be a part of his family, predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, he has made you his own to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And John MacArthur says this, the Christian life is a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. That was the Lord's goal in saving Paul, and this was Paul's goal in response. This is what it means to make Christ your own because he has made you his own. The Lord saved Paul for the purpose of Paul becoming more like Christ, conformed into the image of God. And we see Paul's motivation for becoming more like Christ is based on an understanding of what Christ did for him already that we see in verses 8 through 11. And that motivation is translated into a lifelong, all-out sprint, eyes fixed on Christ, pursuit of Christ-likeness pressing on to make it our own, a strong desire to know God more. So what about you? If you read verses 8 through 11, which I'm so excited to hear Pastor John preach on, especially after going through this, I can't wait to hear uh, what what I missed in my own study. Um, What does it do to your soul when you read that? Can you count your gains as lost because you know Christ? The power of his resurrection. Are you sharing in his sufferings? Are you becoming like him in his death? Can you say that you hold true because you have attained the resurrection from the dead? Is your mind consumed with knowing Christ more because it is of far more value than anything else this world offers? Paul is pressing on as a response to what Christ has done for him. Now are you sitting there wondering, okay, what has Christ done for me? That question is, That is the reason why I love being in ministry. And I have such a privilege to be able to tell you this morning the hope that is found in Jesus. When you have this hope, then verses 8 through 11, you begin to understand them more. And it begins to produce within you that reason to run. So what has God done for you? Well, first thing we must know is that God is holy. And he's without sin. In fact, he's filled with wrath towards sin. He hates it. And we are born into sin. We are destined for an eternity separated from Christ in hell. Do you see that problem? Sin is the problem. Sin separates us from God. And there is, there is a penalty for sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that penalty must be paid by the one who committed the crime. That's you. Born into sin, destined for hell, hopeless. Nothing you do in your own strength could ever cover the cost of your sin. 
Someone needed to pay the cost for your sin. And so God, in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that his blood would cover your sins and that God would see you as his son, Jesus Christ. So what did you do in this? Absolutely nothing. He died for you. He rose again on the third day, conquering death. This he did as a gift for you. You don't need to earn it. You can't earn it. You don't have to have everything together before coming to him and receiving this gift. If, if you had to do something, it wouldn't be grace. It takes humility. It takes acknowledging that you are a sinner and, and that maybe the world has skewed your view of what truth is and you need to respond by turning from that sin, which is repentance, and turning towards God, which is an act of surrender, and declare your trust in him in order to be saved. Those aren't my words. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you do not know God, Take this opportunity to reach out to myself, to Pastor John, to our elders. Comment on the Facebook feed that you're watching right now. Send an email. Make a phone call. Get in contact with somebody who knows the Lord. It is that important. And I guarantee that if you admit that you are a sinner to somebody in our church, they're going to point you to Christ. And if you desperately want to know Christ, they won't judge you. Rather, they will rejoice when you give your life to him. They will come alongside you and encourage you in your faith. And as believers, we will press on together toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now for those who are in Christ right now, how serious are you about your relationship with him? Are you pressing on to make Christ your own? What a great time to answer this question as the coronavirus completely unravels our society in a matter of weeks and it causes us to see exactly where our hope has been placed. But where should we place our hope? In Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in him. He never changes. His word is always the same. And as he says in Philippians 1 verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. This is the God who holds the world in his hands. He has made this promise to you that not even a virus can get in the way of. Do you know God enough to rest in the truths that are found within his word? When you are filled with fear, do you know where to turn? When you are filled with anxiety, do you know what the Lord says about that? Is your knowledge of who God is enough motivation for you to continue to press on towards the finish line? Now let's talk about something like that in understanding more. Um, we will, will be a significant motivator for us to press on. And so our second point this morning is the race and reward. Verses, uh, second half of verse 13 and 14, it says this, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, the language that Paul is using here does not make us see following Christ becoming more like him, like a walk in the park. The language used shows us extreme exertion, an active participant, Pressing on, straining forward. Uh, think about the squirrel in Ice Age, in all five movies, who spends um, every single movie doing anything possible just to try to get that acorn. But the only difference between Scrat and us is that our reward 
doesn't keep moving. It is far more tangible. It is a place that we can actually get to when we get to the end of the race. But in the same way that Scrat pursues that acorn, in the same way that you would push through every single pain to get to the end of a one kilometer race, to get your hands on a hundred million dollars, that's the same language that Paul is using here. Run, run hard, press on, push through distractions, forget what lies behind. So what does it mean to forget what lies behind? Well, we spend much time dwelling on sin that we've been forgiven for. We try to solve problems that we're not really a part of, or we look at our successes and begin to think that we had something to do with them. We spend so much time reading news articles about this virus that fear begins to invade our lives, and each of these cause us to take our eyes off Christ. This is the enemy fighting against us. His goal is to remove Christ in any way possible, to remove your gaze from Christ to cause us to flip this sentence around and strain towards what lies behind, forgetting what lies ahead. But we need to fight hard in our faith, pressing on in true hope, knowing that one day he will return and he will call us to live with him for eternity. What are we to strain forward about? What is the prize? It's that day that we experience the resurrection from the dead. When sanctification becomes complete, And our journey on this earth is no longer and our bodies have been glorified in the presence of God. A day when we have no more need to run hard or strain through difficulties or feel pain because we have finally crossed the the finish line. It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. But how does knowing this prize help us here and now on this earth? Well, it helps us understand that we need to persevere. Um, Josh and I didn't communicate this morning, but he read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it's just so perfect for this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This type of language about running a race and working hard here is all throughout the New Testament. A few passages for you to write down now to look up later about working hard here in this life and pressing on. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 11, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, and finally James 1, verse 12. Those are ones that you should look at. If you need those scripture references later, um, just send me an email and I will be sure to get them to you. We need to run hard and it isn't easy. And that is why Paul uses words like straining, pressing on, holding true. Now that we see that we need to set our eyes on the prize, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is, what is behind me that I might be focusing on that the Lord is calling me to forget? Is there some deep indwelling sin that is consuming you, that you are living in denial with because, well, it's just not that bad? Or is it a sin that you are struggling with saying no to because it is a battle of the flesh and you are getting tired and you're tired of saying no and so you think that in some ways, if you just give in, that the battle would be over. 
only to give in and realize that the battle isn't going to be over until the day that you face Christ, until the day that you return and see him. Are you focused on something that since our prize is far less tangible than the couch that you're sitting on this morning or the room that you're sitting in, that it is consuming your attention because you can have it at this very moment. Things like movies, video games, books, free times, the next best gadget or phone in these days, um, months away from maybe paying off all your debt. Take a moment right now and soul search. What is causing you to slow down in this race? You probably already know what it is. I'll be honest with you, what are mine? I have a few. TV, my phone, I like building projects. I sometimes make work a little bit too much of a priority. And believe it or not, sometimes even ministry can cause me to take my eyes off the prize. What prize do you hold right now that isn't eternity with Christ? We all have one. Don't deny that there's something that's taking your eyes off of Christ. Because it can so easily pull our attention and our affections away from the one who truly matters. But see, it's not simply enough to try to forget about something. I don't know about you, but when I try and stop a bad habit of some sort, it is quickly replaced by something else. I can easily forget a past sin and then all of a sudden my mind starts focusing on past successes but then I can do that vice versa as well and I still won't be forgetting about what lies behind. I need to replace that mentality and I need to strain forward to what lies ahead. It's a double action. I need to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. So where are you in this race? Have you already been walking around your Christian life as if you have it all together? That you are somehow already made perfect and obtained the resurrection from the dead? Newsflash here, we all do this. We all have moments in our lives where we think that we have it all together, that we no longer struggle with sin, and that the race that we started off running so strong, we don't realize that we're slowing down, that we're looking behind us to the things that used to grab our attention. And slowly they begin to take hold of us again, all because we are taking our eyes off the prize. This is what the enemy wants. He wants you to take your eyes off your Savior, And we begin to become complacent. Even worldly comforts can distract us from developing Christ-like character, even if they're not bad. Things like the video camera that I'm looking into right now. It took a lot of my time. And I'll be completely honest, I should have surrounded it more in prayer as I learned how to, to get it to work, to get live stream all set up, because this is completely new for me. And although it's a great tool and it's getting the gospel out into our community, It took my eyes off Christ a little bit too much, a little bit more than I'm comfortable admitting. We hold on to false securities. We hold on to comforts, and our path is no longer straight. How are you running right now? With COVID-19 destroying our idols today, can you see where you are placing your hope and therefore fixing your gaze? It's eye-opening. It's hard. God's word never says that following Christ is going to be easy, especially being so influenced by the world around us, being hammered by all these news articles. But he does promise that even though it is difficult, that it will be worth it. The best way that I've begun to understand more about what it means for straining forward and what lies ahead, this brings me great joy to talk about this, is my son Declan. 
I see our spiritual spatial awareness so much in his physical spatial awareness. It's not even funny, especially when I'm chasing him around the house. If he walks into a room and I want to chase him and I say, immediately yell at him, hey, get back here. He just books it. I swear that kid has a faster acceleration rate than the flash. He starts booking it around corners, down hallways, and if I start stomping my feet just to give him a little bit of a rush of adrenaline to just remind him that I'm after him, what does he do? He looks back to see who's chasing him. What happens to his prize? Well, because he's taking his eyes off his room or the end of the hallway, he starts to drift. He's no longer running in a straight line. All of a sudden, I'm worried that he's going to run right down the stairs, right into my piano, or that he's going to stop dead in his tracks because the hallway ended at the wall. Do you see what happens when you take your eyes off a prize? When you take your eyes off Christ, off eternity, it can have some pretty drastic effects. You might stop running altogether, and you might begin chasing after sin or success as if it's more satisfying than Christ. In no way am I saying here that if we take our eyes off Christ that you can lose your salvation. But God's word is very clear that the way to Christ, the gate, it is narrow. Try running down a narrow trail in the mountains, climbing to the peak, without looking at your destination. Although you may ultimately end up where you are going because you can tell what is uphill, you're going to have so many branches hit you in the back of the head. You're going to trip over rocks. But if you keep your eyes on Christ, if you keep looking to your destination on the mountain, although you may be hiking uphill, you can see where those branches are. You can see where your foot might slip. And you can make wise decisions about where to step next. You will still trip and fall. We, are, we aren't perfect. You will still get a branch or two in the face. But we need to strive and strain forward, fixing our eyes on the prize. Now, you're probably wondering why I'm talking a lot about what the prize is, and I haven't really gone into detail about that. And I save that for now just because I think there's so much value in what this reward is. I want to give you that, that desire to well up within you to pursue the prize, and then we're going to make that desire grow even more when we understand more about what it actually is. What do you know about heaven? Now, we don't have nearly enough time this morning to talk about it. There have, there's chapters and books and choosing exactly what to write about. That was hard. But we can establish one thing for sure this morning, and that is it is not like it's made out to be in those Philadelphia cream cheese commercials. You do not sit on a fluffy cloud and wear a white robe and float around like angels. That's just not what eternity is like. But it's also not like an eternal church service where you sit in a hard pew and listen to boring sermons and think about when, what you're going to do once the worship leader stops singing. Yet because of our misunderstandings, we see heaven as boring and long and, and tiring with no real desire to actually go there, no excitement. Randy Alcorn has written an entire book on heaven and uh, one of my favorite quotes from it so far, I'm not done reading it, is this. Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not on the next. And we won't be motivated to share our faith. Why should we share the good news that a people can spend eternity in a boring, ghostly place that even we're not looking forward to? Wow. 
Take that one step further in our context right now. Why should we strive for a prize of an eternity that is boring and ghostly? Our lack of excitement towards eternity and our view that eternity is boring basically implies that we think God is boring and sin is exciting. It's backwards, although we might not know it. We are straining to the things that are behind us. So, what is heaven like? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read a few verses that give us um, a description of the new heaven and a new earth. We're going to jump over the description of the new Jerusalem, and then we're going to see something else in Revelation chapter 22. But this is such a clear description of eternity. So Revelation 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Reminds me a lot of the Garden of Eden there. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. When he talks about a bride adorned for her husband, that is a clear picture of beauty. And he also says there's no more brokenness. There's no more death, mourning, crying. There's no more pain. There is a well that never runs dry where we can drink from the spring of the water of life without payment. And then if you read verses 9 through 27, read that this afternoon, that gives you a very vivid description of what the new Jerusalem looks like. Read it. It's beautiful. But probably the best thing about eternity is in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Let's read that. The angel... Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Did you catch it? You will see his face. We haven't quite got there in our study um, through Exodus right now, but do you remember what happened to Moses when he was on the mountain and he begged God, God, show me your glory And God said, nobody can see my face and live. So you know what, Moses? Why don't you hide in this rock right now? Wait until I pass before you, and then you can see the back of me. And what was the result of Moses looking at the back of God? Well, he was glowing when he came down from the mountain. 
And this scripture tells us that we get to see the face of God and live. That's awesome. This is eternity. It is but a mere glimpse of what it will be like. Like Eden, there's gonna be plenty of stuff for us to do. And yet we will do it with joy and we will do it with ease, with bodies that no longer feel pain or struggle to even do the simplest of tasks. No fear that your knee or shoulder is gonna seize or give out on you, that you're gonna trip and fall and break a bone or Arnold, that you're gonna fall off a ladder. (laughs) You will be complete. What a day to strive towards. And not only is a heaven a place of beauty that we can strive for, a place where we can see the face of God and say goodbye to sorrows and pain, but it is a place that we have been tasked with here on earth, storing up treasures and rewards for when we arrive. Scripture talks about that in countless different places. Rewards awaiting for those in heaven. James 1.12 talks about the crown of life. Blessed is he who remains steadfast in a trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks of lasting rewards built here on earth, but it also talks about those who kind of scrape their way in. So 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 through 15. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I, being Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each of one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You need to press on here on this earth. Build on the foundation that survives Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you will be in eternity. But what will your arrival be like? Will you hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will having run the race here on earth prove that you've built upon the foundation that survives? Will it be like 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, that says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be excited for eternity. Press on at all times, striving for this final goal of being with Christ seeing the face of God. Press on to know him, to make him known to others, to receive these rewards. And finally, this is gonna take us to our final two verses. 
And our last point as well, the resolve. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Those who are mature, those, those who are inexperienced in spiritual exercises, they have been at this for a while. They know God. And, and Paul continues the strong language here when he says, think, it means set your mind upon. It does not include apathy. It is not complacency, but rather it is a resolve to set your mind on Christ. A resolve to know him more. It draws the same urgency as press on and straining forward. Think this way. Set your mind upon a passionate pursuit of Christ. When Paul says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you, Paul is confident in his knowledge of Christ, but wise enough to, to tell people to pursue Christ with humility. Why? Because it leaves room for certain disagreements about mysteries that we may have. When is Christ going to come back? How is he going to come back? Are we in the tribulation now? Are we not in the tribulation? Those are some places that we have room for disagreements. But it trusts that the Lord will reveal to us where we may be wrong and that we will be willing to receive that correction and pursue truth. Now on to something even better in verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And again, hold true, it implies holding to a path of life, not merely a moment. This is us striving towards eternity, towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus with every ounce of our being, every single moment of our lives until the day that the Lord calls us home. But the beauty in this is what is said after, to what we have attained. Now I need to be honest with you for a minute. I struggled so hard trying to figure out exactly how to explain this. I fought and fought with different sentences and paragraphs. I just couldn't get my words right. I prayed over it. I got frustrated. I gave up. And so rather than trip and fall over my own words, I'm going to read to you a quote from Gordon Fee in his commentary about Philippians to help us understand what we have attained in words that are far better than I could say myself. What he and they have attained already is an understanding of the gospel in which the life of the crucified one is the paradigm for those who would be his followers. And they may do so with joy because they are already but not yet. The power of the resurrection by which they now participate in his sufferings, thus being conformed to his death, is also the guarantee of their own sure future toward which he has just urged them to follow him in eager pursuit. If you have attained an understanding of the gospel and you want to follow the example that was set in Jesus Christ and you desire this eager pursuit, hold true to the fact that he has called you to be a part of his family. Then you can sing along with Paul in verse 12, I haven't obtained it yet. I am not perfect, but I know it's mine. One day when the Lord calls, I can say that I have made it my own. One day after living this life with one purpose, longing to gain Christ and to know him more, to rejoice that I have received righteousness from God, the power of his resurrection, to know that I have shared in his sufferings, that I have become like him in his death, I hold true to what I have attained, a definite place of arrival, eternity, 
resurrection from the dead. We need to live with this resolve. It should consume us. It should be so noticeable that when we go into the public, especially right now when you go and make your weekly grocery trip, people should see someone walking through that store holding true to true hope, to peace, to joy amidst one of the craziest times of our existence. They should see someone straining forward with their eyes fixed on the prize. It will be such a priority for us that we will not be able to stop ourselves living for Christ, living for eternity, living to know God and helping others know God. Do you have this resolve? Are you straining forward like this? Are you asking now, how can I hold true to what I have attained? Well, begin by reminding yourself first what it is that you have attained. You need to remind yourself daily of the gospel. This is the foundation of our, truth, of our faith. And without that, we really don't have any purpose. You can hold true by being diligent in your resolve to know Christ more. How? By studying the word of God. Meditate on it. Memorize scripture regularly so that you can take it with you during the day. That's something that I need to do more. Memorize scripture that I can chew on. Pray pray and ask the Lord that he would reveal to you more about who he is. You will be prone to wander. You will be tempted to look behind you. You will be tempted to take your eyes off Christ. But when that does happen, cry out to the Lord and say, God, my desire is to know you. Help me resolve to follow you in running the race, seeking the reward because of the reason that you have saved me. Let's pray. God, you are faithful and you have given us so much. There's, there's so much found within the truth of your word that you have uh, given to us this morning. And I pray for our church. I pray for those who tuned in this morning, God. Would you please ignite within them a passion and a desire to know you more and that it would be fueled by a knowledge of what you have done for them and that it would encourage a passionate pursuit of Christ-likeness until the day that you return, until the day that our sanctification is made complete and we spend eternity with you. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.